pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, <clears throat> it's all good. Along with the issues I have, I've also hurt my back. Uh, I heard uh, you say I had issues, so I thought, you know, I was just uh, I do have a few. You already, everybody already knew I had issues. <laughs> um, so this morning, uh, I want to share with you what happened real quick. Um, so I started exercising and eating lettuce, and. <laughs> <laughs> one 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 day, and this is what happened. And uh, so I am I am not happy with this diet stuff. It's for the birds. Um, it's all good. I promise. I appreciate your patience with me this morning, um, George. You've got the easiest job in the house, man. I'm not moving. So you can hold that camera steady. Make it. Make sure it looks like I lost ten pounds uh, by eating one bowl of salad. All right. Uh, if you would, uh, in, in all honesty, remember my family. I'm going tomorrow to, uh, to bury my aunt, my dad's uh, oldest sister. And uh, I'll get there. I'm not worried about my back. I, I'm, I'm fine. What I'm asking you to pray for is um, that that the Lord will grab a hold of the hearts of this very, very lost family. And that in spite of me being in the pulpit tomorrow, that they can still hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, it is, uh, it's very, very sad when you you deal with family that doesn't always understand the message understand what's what the purpose is so i would appreciate those prayers greatly um but uh i know that god is in control and that he is good and faithful and that his will will be done and that is certainly our prayer if you're visiting with us this morning uh normally i'm walking back and forth um but uh, if i decide this is more comfortable we just may keep doing this moving forward you just never know um, I pray that you had a great new year. Who, be honest, who in here was already in bed by midnight? Who was already in bed by midnight? If you're under the age of 60 and you were already in bed by midnight, raise your hand. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of looking and most of y'all besides Katie have children at home. So I totally understand why you were in bed by that time. They have wore you out, but I get it, Katie, you have Larry and it's the same thing. So it's kind of rough life. You know, Christmas, New Year's for a lot of families, it was a little different this year because they've dealt with loss over the past. So let's continue to remember those families that God uh, would use our church to be there for them and, and to comfort them during, during this season, during this time. I want to start the year off um, in, a, in a way that would help us to hopefully get out on the right foot for the rest of the year. 
Uh, if you're going to do a New Year's resolution, I'd recommend that it be spiritual, um, not physical, because this is what happens if you uh, try to do the physical. No, um, but that we would spiritually get right with God, that spiritually we would do the things that we need to. But to start that off, we need to have an understanding of where we are and who we are. So no more condemnation. We're going to find a woman who was caught in adultery. Now, next week, we're going to actually do this backwards. We're going to deal with a woman this week, and then we're going to deal with her accusers next week. It may sound backwards because it doesn't read that way, but, but we're going to deal with the woman, and then we're going to deal with her accusers next week. But in Scripture, it has her accusers up first, and then we deal with the woman. So if you have your Bible, uh, if you would, turn to John chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. And if you don't want to stand, I understand, because I'm not standing, but if you would like to stand, feel free to do so. And if you're new to us, you'll stand the rest of the service. No, you won't. You're good. John chapter 8 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple area, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began teaching them. So already Christ has gained fame. He has gained recognition. People have heard about what he can do, so they're bringing people to him. Now the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. And after placing her in the center of the courtyard, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such such women. What then do you say? Now they were saying this to test him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, when they heard this, they began leaving one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the courtyard. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, go, excuse me. From now on, do not sin any longer. Father, we ask this morning that we would have a good understanding of what a beautiful thing Christ has done for the sinner. Even those who have been caught red-handed in the middle of whatever it was they were doing, Christ has done a work to bring freedom to their life. Lord God, today may someone here be freed for the first time ever from the sin that holds them captive. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. A lot of people struggle their whole life with a sin, things that, things that uh, capture them, captivate them, things that, that, that seem to have a stranglehold on their life, and, and we label those people. 
I, I've, I imagine that there are people that are in prison that if you were to mention their crimes, many people would say, well, I just pray they burn in hell. And that's the attitude of a lot of, a lot of our uh, thoughts when it comes to people who struggle with sin, any, anything that we don't struggle with. Do you, you ever find that the things you don't struggle with seem worse than what you actually struggle with? It's like, I can't believe those people struggle with that. We, we start thinking in this manner like, wow, their sin is so horrible. Their sin is so bad. And we, we get in our head that because others sin in a way that we don't, their sin must be different. Their sin must be worse. But the truth is they may be thinking the same thing about you and your sin. We all struggle here. And there's a woman now who's been brought to before Jesus uh, by some people that we're going to discuss next week. And they're, they're people that I, I would not want anything to do with. But I want to deal with the woman herself, the one who has been caught in adultery. And I want us to first pay attention to some things that I think bother me, especially about this woman. You never hear about the man that she was caught with. You only hear about the woman. We didn't drag the man out in front of everybody. We just drugged the woman. This lower class of society back in this day. And, and I, I think today we do a little bit better job um, recognizing that it takes two to do this. But here they only want to bring one. They, they bring this woman and, and they bring her and just kind of put her there before Christ. And they bring the accusation. They bring what they have seen. And, and they had to at least have two to three witnesses in order for this to have happened. So my question would be, why were they watching her do this to begin with? But regardless, this has happened. She's been caught in adultery. She has been brought before Christ. They want to try her immediately and say, let's stone her. And they look to Jesus and say, what do you say? Well, Jesus deals with them. And then after he deals with them, and it says that from the oldest to the youngest, they began to leave, they began to walk out. He looks down at this woman who, by the way, was apparently guilty, who would have been labeled an adulterer. And he looks down at her and he says, woman, where are they? Where are those who brought you? Where are those who were the accusers? Where are those who pointed out your sin? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. Now, as a child, I would stop there. This is where I would stop. I, I would not go any further. I would, this is it. The, the accusers are there, but Jesus still is angry. In my mind, this is how I thought. Jesus is still, he knows her sin. He knows how sorry she is. This is Jesus. What is she going to have to do to get on Jesus's good side? And a lot of us think the same way. We think, okay, the world may not have seen me do it, but Jesus knows I did it. Therefore, I am this horrible person. I have no hope. God is mad at me because he knows that I've sinned. All of these horrible things. But Jesus looks at this woman, knowing her guilt, knowing her situation. He looks at her and he says, I do not condemn you either. Folks, that's powerful. This one who took our place on the cross, who took our sin, our death, he took our punishment up on this cross, and he looks over this woman, knowing that he's going to have to die because of her adultery, looks over at her, and he says, oh, by the way, I don't condemn you either. 
Why? Because he knew that he would be going to the cross for her. He knew his mission on earth was to die for this woman's sin, not to come as an accuser. Now, I want you to understand something. When he comes back the second time, he's coming back as judge. But right now, he has come to set us free. And he looks at this woman and he says, neither do I. I don't condemn you. You're sitting here today and you might be in your sin and you might have had this thing that you've continually been a, had a, have had a part of your life. You've been in sin. You've been struggling with. I want to tell you something. What Jesus says to you today is this. Quit holding on to that because I'm not holding on to it. If you will confess it, if you will bring it to me, I don't condemn you either. And what we're afraid of is we're afraid to be honest and bring our sin to Christ. Because if we do, what we're afraid we're going to hear is you horrible, horrible person. Because listen, growing up, a lot of sermons that I heard and some of those that I've even preached, I think were so harsh that would make people think, why would I want to come to Jesus with my sin? He's not going to be happy. But yet when we read the scripture... Jesus looks at this woman who is guilty and he asks her a question. Where are your accusers? Where are those who were condemning you? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one. And look at the word that she uses, Lord. This one who she recognizes him as her hope, as her Lord. Not as a rabbi, teacher, but she uses the word Lord. She is putting her hope at this very moment in this one who is not accusing her. I think a lot of times we use the pulpit more of a place to make people feel bad for their sin instead of a place for people to be set free from their sin. Yes, people need to recognize their sin, but ultimately what they have to do is they have to also realize that they have been set free through the blood of Christ. There is something more than just being condemned. Oh, I'm a horrible person. That's why they have prison ministries. Because society has said to people, and rightly so for a lot of folks, you don't need to be out in the rest of, with the rest of the world. You have done things that, that we can't trust you with outside of the prison walls. However, the good news is there is hope in Christ. And so you take the gospel even to the people that the world says, look at those horrible sinners. And yet you take the gospel in. And yes, I will admit, because I have seen it plenty of times. I have seen it over and over and over again where people get jailhouse religion. Anybody know what that is? Y'all know what jailhouse religion is? You know, everybody gets, gets saved when they go in because they want the lawyer to be able to present to them as a, somebody who's changed and all this other stuff. I've seen plenty of people. I've dealt with plenty of people who were suddenly saved when they got in trouble. But as soon as their troubles were over, they got unsaved. Well, that's impossible. You know why? Because salvation doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. Amen? Okay? Now, <laughs> you take the gospel into all these people that are just really struggling in life, and you take it into the prison system, and one or two or three or four get saved, and they truly get saved. You may tell you what they're not asking for. They're not asking out of prison. They're not asking for leniency. You know why? Because the sinner recognizes his sin, and he's just thankful that he's been forgiven. Does that make sense? They don't use their new position as a... Uh, 
as leverage to get out of prison. Instead, they recognize that prison is nothing. It's a temporary thing because they have been set free for eternity. This woman who's been accused, who according to these wonderful religious people should have been stoned, looks to the one who pardons sin, and she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, I do not condemn you either. Then he said, go now and sin no more. No longer do this. Get out of this lifestyle. I have set you free from this. You have no business coming back to that. It's like a dog that goes back to eat its throw up. That's how the Bible describes a person who keeps repeating sin. So he's telling her, get this vomit out of your life and don't ever come back. Get this sickness, this sin, and don't ever do this again. I've set you free. I've given you freedom. I have given you forgiveness. I'm not condemning you. We're not going to put a big red A on you for adulterer. We're not doing that. Instead, we're not condemning you. We're forgiving you, and I want you to walk away from this. So why wouldn't Jesus condemn this adulterous woman? Why wouldn't he do it? Like, if, if according to the Pharisees, he had the right to, so why didn't he do it? Well, it's, it's really pretty simple. I want you to look at John 3, uh, 17 with me. If you have your Bible, turn to John 3, 17. It says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge or condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. Jesus did not come to condemn us. He did not come to set us on a direction in hell. Instead, he came to set us free. Most people only know John 3, 16. If you don't know John 3, 17, then John 3, 16 does you no good. Does that make sense? For God did not send his son into the world to judge or condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. So the reason that Jesus is willing to do this for this woman is because Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to save. And then we look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Remember what he told the woman? Go and sin no more. Don't do this any longer. We have been set free from that yoke of slavery. That thing that, 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 that kept us uh, locked up in sin. That thing that kept us from ever walking that aisle because people know who I am. Folks, can I, can I tell you something? Everyone in here has a past. And those of you that don't think you have a past, you're not hiding it from anybody. Everybody has a past. Everybody has done something. Now, I go, there's some of you that I'll have to admit, you've done nothing like some of us have done in here. And the world would classify you as being a good person. The problem with that is the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and fallen what? Short of the glory of God. We need to be set free through Christ from that yoke of slavery. And then Romans chapter 8 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember, she speaks to Jesus earlier, and she answers him with this, No one Lord. She has put that hope, that faith, that trust there in Christ. And for the law of the Spirit is uh, of life in Christ Jesus has, um, has set you free from the law of sin and of death. That born again, John, when he's talking to, uh, when, God's, when Christ is talking to uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he's explaining to him about being born of the Spirit. So in Romans, the author here is saying, again, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, by the way, the law was there to help us to see our sin and the need to repent. Did y'all know that? That's what the law was there for. 
We were already breaking it. We just needed to know how we were breaking it. That's what the law was there. All right. Weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He doesn't condemn the person. He condemned the act. He condemned the sin. He took care of that. He the sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are in accord with the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who are in accord with the spirit, the things of the spirit, Jesus came to set us free, my friend. But we live in a state of condemnation because we don't understand that what Christ has done is set us free. Most of us keep thinking, I've done too much for God to forgive. How many of you believe that God's grace is greater than our sin? So tell me what you've done exactly that was so bad, so great, that God couldn't reach you with his grace. Again, in our mind, we look at other people. Oh, I don't see how God could ever save that person. Well, God saved you. Trust me, if he could save some of us in this room, he could save anybody. So the next question is, why would Jesus want to offer her new life? Why would he not want to condemn her? Why would he want to offer her new life? Well, I believe, and it's very clear, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it sets it all. In the beginning, God did what? Created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, this is where God started it all. This is God's world. This is God's earth. This is God's creation. Do you not think God's going to do everything he can and everything he has to do to bring us back to him? There's a reason he did this for this woman, because he created her. As a matter of fact, let's look here. Psalm 139 says, for you created me, uh, created my uh, innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give you thanks. I, I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my uh, formless substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there there was not one of them. Folks, the reason that Jesus did what he did is very simple. He created this life. This woman that was caught in adultery, Christ fashioned while she was in her mother's womb. He gave her her eyes, her nose, her features. Some of you are sitting here going, why would Christ want to forgive me? Why would Christ want life for me? Because you are his creation. I don't care how you were created. I have met people who were a product of a horrible, horrible rape. And their testimony is like this. God allowed my creation. God formed me through that process. Even though it was a horrible thing to happen to my mother, God formed me. And so I have purpose. I don't care what you come from. I don't care how dysfunctional your family is. I don't care how you were created. I'm telling you, if you're here, God caused it. 
And I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care what you're trying to hide from everybody else. God says, if you will trust him and call him who he is, his son who he is, your Lord and Savior. When you recognize that, I'm going to tell you what. God's grace is as good. No, God's grace is way better than your sin. Can I finally tell you this? What Jesus did for this woman, he will do for us. Whatever you have, whatever you have to bring to God, whatever sin you're dealing with, think about it. How many of you remember your first weekend at college? How many of you would like to forget about your first weekend in college? Matter of fact, why don't we just stand up real quick and let everybody share about their first weekend in college? There's this laughter bit because we all know there's a lot of people that don't know about my first weekend in college. That's because with that first weekend, you realize just how stupid you were. But do you recognize just how much God saved you from that stupidity? What if you would have remained where you were that first weekend in college? Then we bring it to Christ. We bring all the things that we've done in our life. And all of our accusers will stand before us. And yet, what does God do? He sends his son. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. If you have a marriage that's struggling, listen to me. Quit looking at everybody's fault. And just as Christ has done for us, show compassion, show love, show forgiveness. Wherever you are, God can do through Jesus Christ for you the same as he did for this woman. But when you are done, walk away from that life of sin. That, my friend, is true freedom in Christ. As I close, one of my Folks from Livingston that I knew, not as well as I knew others, but knew him pretty well. But he had he'd taken in a young man who really didn't have much family. And he had begun to walk this young man into in where Christ wanted him to be and who Christ wanted him to be. And I sat and I, and I remember hearing stories about how the two of them just walked together, talked together, how this man led this other one to Christ. And he was just killed this past couple of days ago in a helicopter crash. He said, why, why are you telling us this story? Because when he was set free from sin, he wanted others to be set free from sin. And so he started to mentor young men. What are you doing with your freedom in Christ? If you've truly been set free, what are you doing with that? Because you don't know when your life will end. 
This man who died in the helicopter crash, he will be rem- Mr. King will be remembered as a man of God. If you were to die today and you say you claim to be a believer and you were to die today, let me ask this question. How would we remember you? If you are not taking what you've been given and giving it to others, I don't see how you can call yourself a true believer. I imagine this woman couldn't keep her mouth shut because she had been set free. Father, I thank you that you have set us free. And Lord God, I thank you that you have allowed us to be in a place of hope in spite of all the things we've done. You've allowed us, Father, to find forgiveness even though we're guilty. You have given us salvation instead of condemnation. And Father, for that, we are so thankful. Lord God, this day, this moment, this hour, let that person who has been so afraid to walk that aisle because they're afraid of what will be said, let them come today and find freedom in Christ.